Last couple weeks, um, we've been talking about family. The first week, we talked about legacy and what that looks like. The second week, we talked about uh, being sons and daughters and what that looks like in the family. Um, this morning, I want to talk to you still again about family, um, but this time, I want to I kind of dig a little bit deeper into what it looks like, uh, not just as us individual, individually, but as us, woo, us corporately. Maybe I'll, hopefully I can talk better throughout this whole thing. But what it looks like uh, corporately for us, what does it mean to be a family? What is the difference between being a kingdom family and being a congregation of people who come together for church? What, what does it look like? What's the difference? And I believe there are many differences, um, but today I wanna talk about two, just two differences um, of what it looks like, what's the difference between being a kingdom family and being a group of people who gather together as a congregation. What, what's the difference? Um, and so first I wanna jump into uh, this, this, this book here, Hebrews chapter 12. Go ahead and pull that up for me, Chad. Hebrews chapter 12, verses four is where we're gonna start. We're gonna read through eight. And it says this, it says, after all, you have not reached the point of sweating blood in your opposition to sin. And have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? You ready for these encouraging words? Everybody say, I'm ready. All right, I'm ready for these encouraging words. He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord. Or get depressed when he has to correct you. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. For fully embrace God's correction as part of your training, for he is doing what any loving father does for his, chi- for his children. For who has ever heard of a child who, ha- who never had to be corrected? We all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. For if we have never once endured his correction, it only strangers and not sons. I love how the writer of Hebrews starts us off. God is going to uh, give us, what does it say? Encouraging words. And the words that come out next are embrace the discipline of God. I don't know about you, but I don't personally enjoy discipline. It doesn't sound super encouraging to me to be disciplined, right? Who enjoys being disciplined in the room? That's what I thought. Nobody. But it says that these encouraging words, that be ready to be encouraged by these words, embrace the discipline of God. And it says this, that the reason why he wants you to embrace it and the reason why it's encouraging, go, go back. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Yeah, don't underestimate, my child, don't underestimate the value of discipline and the training of the Lord or get depressed when he has corrected you. But then it says, in one of the verses, whichever one it is, it says that, that the discipline or the correction of the Lord is the sign of authentic sonship. That if you are not being corrected by the Lord, then you're not walking in authentic sonship. And that's why these words are encouraging because discipline, the discipline of the Lord actually proves it's the proof that you are an authentic son and daughter of God. That discipline, that love actually looks like discipline, that correction is actually love. 
And some of you might be saying, I thought that the cross is what made us sons and daughters of God. And that's absolutely true. The cross makes us sons and daughters of God. But what this verse is saying is that discipline is the proof that we have been made sons and daughters of God. We know we are sons of God if he is disciplining us. But usually we don't like to hear that because as I've already stated, discipline is no fun. Discipline actually can hurt sometimes. We like the mercy part of God, right? The part where he's, he's, he's forgiving us of our sins and he's, he's showing us and telling us how much he loves us and, and he's doing all of these really nice, wonderful things and all of that is absolutely necessary and wonderful. But it says here that it's actually the discipline of the Lord that proves that we are authentic sons and daughters of God. Let me give you an example. Every kid in this building loves Terry Williams, right? I know my kids are excited every morning to see Terry Williams walk into the room. Does anybody know why? Candy. candy. That's right. Terry is dishing out the candy. None of the adults like Terry because he doesn't give us candy. <laughs> but the kids love Terry, right? I have to steal, I have to kind of sneak my kids' starburst they get from Terry and, and put it in my pocket, and then they can just go get another one. So I just kind of showed myself there, but... But all the kids love Terry, right? And because he, he gives them candy, because he gives them things. My, my kids absolutely love seeing Terry on a Sunday morning, right? But Terry doesn't discipline my kids. I discipline my kids, right? They are my children. They're not Terry's children. See, Terry though I would give him authority to discipline my kids if, if, if it were so necessary. So there's your permission if you see him doing something bad. But he actually doesn't have the authority unless I give it to him to discipline my kids because they aren't his. He doesn't own them. Now he can give them sweets, he gives them all the good stuff and that's why they love him because he gives them all the sweets, but that doesn't make them his kids. What makes them my kids is that I have the authority to discipline them. And it's the same way with the father, that if he were just to give us all the good stuff all the time, that would be wonderful. But what makes us his is that he has the authority to come in and to correct us. He has the authority to come in and say, hey, what you're doing there, you shouldn't be doing. Hey, what, what uh, you said at that one moment, you shouldn't have said that. And he has the authority to come in and to discipline us. And because of that disciplining, it makes us authentic children of God. It brings us into the family and it is the proof that we are the sons and daughters of God when he comes to us and he disciplines us. And this is also why that's encouraging. Let's go ahead and go to the next set of verses there, uh, starting in chapter nine or verse nine says, and isn't it true that we respect our earthly fathers even though they corrected and disciplined us? Then we should also demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father, as we submit to his life-giving discipline. Next verse. Our parents corrected us for the short time of our childhood as it seemed good to them, but God corrects us throughout our lives for our own good, giving us an invitation to share in his holiness. Next verse. Now all discipline seems to be more pain than pleasure at the time. 
yet later it produces, this is why it's an encouraging word, because later it will produce a transformation of character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. Why is discipline encouraging? Why is, it, is the writer of Hebrews saying this is an encouraging word that God disciplines us? One, because it makes us authentic sons, but also because if we, were, we heed to the discipline, it brings peace to those who yield to it. When I correct Malachi, Eden, or Maley, I'm not doing it because I just wanna be a mean person to them. I'm not doing it out of anger, although Sometimes that happens too. <laughs> Sometimes it feels, just feels good, right, to, to correct your kids. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's just me. But, but I'm not doing it for that purpose. I'm not doing it for my own gain. I'm doing it because I know that if I teach them to live right, if I correct them now, that later on in their life, it's going to produce a life of peace for them that they're not going to have to deal with certain things because the discipline that I put in their life produced character in them. So that way they don't have to go through life trying to figure it out because, because they weren't disciplined when they were younger. That it actually discipline produces peace in us. That the discipline of the Lord produces righteousness and peace to those who yield to it, amen? So, Discipline is proof that we are authentic sons and daughters and it produces peace to those who yield to it. But here's, here's I wanna take this another step further and say that, that the kingdom family, we must, as a kingdom family, we must also realize that at times God's discipline comes through the hands of his people. Let me show you what I mean. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, obey your spiritual leaders and recognize their authority for they keep watch over your soul without resting since they will have to give an account to God for their work. So it will benefit you when you make their work a pleasure and not a heavy burden. And I wanna go, I wanna say this, that it's important, I talked a little bit about this last week, but it's important for us to have people in our lives that we trust to bring correction to us. That we actually allow them to look into our lives and tell us, hey, I saw you doing this earlier and there was just an attitude there that maybe you didn't notice, but it came across just very arrogant and very wrong. And, and I just feel like I need to just share that with you and, and be able to open ourselves up to that type of correction from other people. That I feel like sometimes we, we uh, take correction as offense. And that if somebody were to come to us and tell us, hey, your attitude was bad there, what we tend to do is get defensive and we, we, we get offended by that and we begin to push ourselves away from them and we don't allow the correction that is actually from the Lord if it's, if it's coming through the right person, that, that we don't allow that correction to bring peace and righteousness to us. And that because we don't allow that to bring that correction to us, then we go about the rest of our lives living with that same bondage because we weren't able to hear the word of correction correctly. And so I wanna, I wanna just challenge you this morning to allow the right people in your life to bring correction and maybe even go to those people that you trust, the people that you look up to, the people that you would consider maybe a spiritual mother and father to you, 
that are maybe a little bit more mature to you and ask them, say, hey, listen, I want you to watch over my life. And if you see anything in me that is going down a wrong path or maybe an an attitude that's wrong or whatever it may be, I wanna give you permission to speak into that and to tell me, hey, listen, that wasn't quite right or that was a little off and allow them to bring discipline into your life so that you can live a life of righteousness and peace and you can live a life full of character. And I promise you, if we allow that to happen, if we allow correction to come into our lives, we're all gonna be better off for it, amen? And now, and here, here's my word of warning with that. I'm not talking about being nitpicky. So listen, this is, this is for all of you people who like to correct people. And I know there are several, or I should say several, there are some of you out there that enjoy bringing correction to people, right? that you actually, it feels good to say, call people out. There's people like that, right? I'm not talking about being nitpicky. I'm not talking about uh, coming to the pastor and yelling at him for not wearing a tie on a Sunday morning, right? I thought maybe I'd get a little more of an amen than that. That's okay. (laughs) I'm not talking about just picking things out to pick things out. I'm not talking about giving people your opinion. There's a big one that you feel this way, and so I'm gonna make sure you know how I feel. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about genuinely caring for a person enough to tell them that they're going down a wrong path. If, if there's something inside of you that wants to correct another person for some kind of vendetta or some kind of uh, like high inside of you, then you need to just keep your mouth shut. Because the purpose of bringing correction to the other person is for the benefit of the other person, not for your own benefit. So I felt like I needed to share that, 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 that if you are that person that feels like you need to bring correction, you better check your own self and make sure that you're not doing it out of your own selfish ambition and for your own selfish goals. Because if you are, then it would be better for you just to keep it to yourself. That the whole point of the correction is to benefit the other person and to bring them into accountability to help them be all that they can be in Jesus, amen? So part, part of being in a kingdom family is being open to receive correction and being open to help others see maybe where they've gone wrong or where they've taken a wrong turn. So that's part of being an authentic son is being willing to be disciplined by the father, but then also being open and allowing spiritual mothers and fathers and maybe brothers and sisters to come alongside of you and to look into your life and to bring correction where correction needs to be brought. Amen? Amen, awesome. Thank you, Mimi, appreciate that. <laughs> I can always count on you for an amen. All right, it's iron sharpening iron. Let me, let me finish that statement. I forgot a couple little things I wanna add. It, this is what it looks like biblically. It looks like Paul and Peter, where Peter refused to sit with the Gentiles to eat. And Paul called him out and said, hey, Peter, remember what we talked about, that, the, that this gospel is for everybody and that what God has deemed clean is clean. And, Pete, and remember, do you remember that story? Peter didn't wanna sit with the other Gentiles because the Jews that were there that still believed that the Gentiles were unclean, he didn't want to ruin his reputation with his fellow Jews. And so he sat with the Jews and, and, and refused to sit with the Gentiles. And Paul comes to him and says, hey, hey, Peter, you remember that this gospel 
is for the Gentiles as well. And what, what you did there was, was not, not God's will, was not being a father like you're supposed to be to, to all of God's creation. And Peter or Paul called out Peter and corrected him. It looks like this. It looks like Nathan the prophet coming to David and telling him, hey, listen, you slept with Bathsheba and you killed her husband and calling him out on that and telling him it was wrong. Now, I don't know why Nathan had to come and tell Peter that that was wrong. I think it's pretty obvious that that was wrong, but for some reason, David hadn't seen that yet. And so Nathan goes to David and tells him where he's messed up and brings correction to his life. That's what I'm talking about is, is, is bringing correction to people. And, and, it, and it's a biblical concept. It's a biblical thing. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and go to the next verse, John chapter 17. So discipline, again, shows us as being authentic sons and daughters, and, and, and then it allows us to be able to sharpen each other, that iron sharpens iron. Here, here's the other difference. Remember, we're talking about the difference between a kingdom family and just a group of people who come together as a congregation. Here, here's another difference. Let's look at John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. It says, and I ask not only for these disciples. Here, let me give you some context. What's happening here is Jesus is praying over the disciples right now. Jesus is praying over the disciples and he says this. And I ask not only for these disciples, but also for all those who will one day believe in me through their message. I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. For the very glory you have given to me, I have given to them so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. You live fully in me and I live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity and the world will be convinced that you have sent me, for they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. The other difference I wanna talk about this morning between being a kingdom family and being just a congregation that comes together is the unity of the spirit. The difference between a kingdom family and a group of congregation that comes together is the unity of the spirit. Many who read this verse think that it's speaking of the unity of believers, which translates to this. We all have to agree on everything. We have to agree on doctrine. We have to agree on what type of worship service, what style we're gonna have. We have to agree on, um, you know, I guess I can use this again, what the pastor wears on a Sunday morning. Have I mentioned that? People have talked to me about that already. <laughs> what the pastor wears on a Sunday morning. We have to agree on all of these things. And they, they take this verse and they, they make it to mean that in order for us to stay together in perfect unity, we have to agree on every level. And I'm, I wanna tell you, that's not what this verse is actually talking about. If we disagree, and this is what they think, if we disagree in any way, we are no longer united. Denominationalism has taught us that if we disagree, we can just split from one another and just start our own club with another group of people who agree with us. Now, I'm not, I wanna be clear, I'm not bashing denominations when, I talk, when I'm talking about denominationalisms. 
There's lots of incredible churches out there who are in a denomination. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the mentality that we have to congregate with only like-minded people, with only people who believe doctrinally the same exact things that we believe. This idea that we have to agree on every level for us to be able to be united as a kingdom family. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. That if we, and if we don't agree, then we have to split and start our own thing with another group of people who agree about the same things we agree with. And that works great until there's a disagreement. And then we have to split again, right? And I, I mean, how many of us have seen that? How many different types of Baptist churches are there? You know, how many different types of Methodist churches are there? How many, you know, there's, and, and again, I, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like I'm coming against churches or different churches, but I'm saying this mentality of we have to agree on every level or we can't be together. We're not living in unity with one another. And I want to tell you, that's not what this verse is saying. That's not what unity looks like. That's not, that's not what we're seeing in these, in these verses. In fact, I would go as far as to say that it's actually healthy for us to have some disagreements. That it's actually healthy for us not to see eye to eye on every form of doctrine. And let me, I feel like I have to clarify this, even though I hope you all understand my heart when I'm talking about this, that I'm not talking about our, the core beliefs, right? I'm not saying that you can't believe Jesus is not the son of God and us be in unity with one another. So I, uh, let, me, let me clarify that. I'm not talking about the core beliefs like Jesus is the son of God and he came and he paid the price for us on the cross for our sins. I'm not talking about those type of beliefs. I'm talking about beliefs like um, speaking in tongues or whether the rapture is gonna happen pre-trib, post-trib or whatever the trib is and, or whether it's gonna happen at all. I'm talking about all of those types of doctrines where People literally split churches because they disagree about when the rapture is gonna take place or if the rapture exists. Those are the type of things I'm talking about. Do you, do you realize that there are theologians, there are pastors, there are just good Christian people. For, there's millions of them out there. There has been millions of them that have disagreed on these subjects. There's like a hundred different views of the end times, Right? somebody's wrong. We're all probably wrong. <laughs> I, regarding the end times, I read a post earlier uh, this week talking about the end times. And the, the guy, I loved his point. He said, the, the original Jews got the first coming of the Messiah wrong. What makes us think that we're going to get the second coming right? Right? <laughs> Whether we agree or disagree is, is on, on some of these subjects is, is, I don't want to say irrelevant, but I believe that it's healthy because that's how we actually grow is in disagreement. If you see something a different way than I see it, then I can learn from your perspective and you can learn from my perspective and we can actually build each other up and help each other become sharper, not when we are all going the same direction on every subject, but when there's maybe a little bit of conflict, that's when we sharpen each other and that's when we can actually learn more and grow as believers, amen? So unity of the spirit does not mean we agree perfectly on every subject, right? What, so so if it, that's not what, you, what he's talking about with us being unified, what does it mean? Well, let's take another look at this scripture once again. Let's go back to verse 21, Chad. 
Verse 21 says, I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. This verse is not talking about us being united together. It's talking about us being united with the Father as Jesus and the Father are one. He's not saying that I wish they were united as me, Jesus, and Paul are one, that we're united. He's saying, no, I want them to be united with you, Father, just as you and I are one. Does that make sense? Did I explain that well? So the unity is not necessarily among us. The unity that we're focusing on is becoming one with the Father. The unity that we're focusing on is becoming one with the Father, just as Jesus and the Father are one. And that in us becoming one with the Father, we will then be united together as believers and as brothers and sisters. That what unites us is not our beliefs. What unites us is that we share the same Father. It's back to the family thing. What makes us one, what makes us united is once again, it's not that we believe the same thing about the rapture. It's not that we believe the same thing about spiritual gifts. What makes us one is that we share the same dad. That our unity with him produces unity with each other. Amen? That our unity with him produces unity with each other. Go ahead and go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse one, we're gonna read one through six. It says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you to walk holy in a way that is suitable to your high rank given to you and your divine calling. Next verse. With tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness and generous love towards one another, especially towards those who may try your patience. Can I get an amen on that verse? You have anybody try, that tries their patience? Hallelujah. All right, next verse. Trying my patience, Chad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, I'm the one that's wrong. Okay, be faithful. <laughs> I'm trying your patience, Chad. <laughs> be faithful to guard the sweet harmony. Here it is. The sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace. Verse four, being one body and one spirit as you are all called into the same glorious hope of divine destiny. Verse five, for the Lord God is one and so are we. There it is, John chapter 17. The Lord God is one and so are we. That just as the Father and the Son are one and the Holy Spirit are one, we are one with them, and because of that, we are one with each other. And so we are, and so are we, for we share in one faith, one baptism, and one Father. And he is the perfect Father who leads us all, works through us all, and lives in us all. Once again, what unites us as one is we share the same Father, that we're all going after the same thing. What, what is the divine destiny that, that Ephesians chapter four is talking about? The divine destiny is our, us being united as one with the Father. 
that we are united because we share the same dad, not because we share the same ideas. Amen? Amen. So the two things, just to recap before we close. How am I doing? Hey, pretty good. Just to recap before we close, the two things that separates uh, the separates us just being a congregation of people that come together that maybe have a meal every now and then and, and, and a carry-in and, and all that. What, what makes us different? What makes a kingdom family different from just being a congregation? Again, I think there's many things, but the two we talked about this morning, one, surprisingly, is discipline and correction. Being able to heed to the discipline of the Father. And understanding that his discipline towards us is not disapproval of us, but it's actually him recognizing and calling us out as authentic sons and daughters. That his discipline and his correction in our lives should produce in us joy because it means that we are sons and daughters of God. So it's discipline from the Father. It's also being open and being able to receive correction from those around us. That, that through the Father, he can actually use other leaders and other people in our lives to bring correction to us, to get us back on the right path and to, to sharpen us and to make us more righteous and more like the Father. And being open to that type of correction from our spiritual mothers and fathers and our brothers and sisters. That's one way that we can look like a kingdom family. Another thing that makes us look like a kingdom family is that realizing what unites us is not that we all share the same exact ideas over every part of scripture, but that we share the same father, that we share the same goal in pursuing him. And that's what unites us. And that we can actually use our disagreements to bring us closer to each other and closer to him. And that's part of what looking like a kingdom family looks like. Amen? Amen. I think we've been pretty good thus far operating as a kingdom family. And I, I believe that the Lord is gonna be using this season to, to shape us even more into, what, and, into operating as a kingdom family and not just a congregation that gets together. Amen?